Yes, all aboard the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. As the train is building up ahead of steam, picking up passengers along the way. It's your conductor, Anthony Smith, the host of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. So grab your ticket, get on board, enjoy the ride. This train is going to take you on a journey unlike ever before. Buckle up, the show is about to begin. Welcome into another edition of the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. On this edition, I will be playing some of my best interviews. So stay tuned to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast as I will bring you the best of interviews from yours truly. So enjoy the ride. This is your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, on the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. And this episode is about to begin now. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, where we do talk sports and we pick up passengers along the way. However, sometimes the passengers that we pick up isn't always sports-related. And this month is Mental Health Awareness Month. And my guest I have on the day really needs no introduction as he has introduced himself already once before on my show, former basketball coach, and now is a keynote speaker, speaking on mental health issues, depression, As a matter of fact, he is a man that has overcome obstacles in his own life and is unashamed to share them. He's none other than, I like to say, my good friend and my brother, also in Christ Jesus, none other than Mark Potter. Coach? How you doing, man? It's it's, uh, awesome to have the opportunity to get a chance to speak to you again and to your audience and... uh... You know, I look forward to it, um, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, hopefully impact in some small way. You know what I mean? Well, as we get the message out and who better to speak on this than you yourself, because you were sharing last time how you had overcome some issues yourself. And one of the things is when you're going through this, you have to realize that you're not doing it alone. And I think that's where a lot of people fail to realize that they get into that mindset that, you know, especially being a male figure, just deal with it. That's right. But it's more than just dealing with it. So I'm going to yield the floor and let you have it. Well, I appreciate it. I I don't know how long you want me to talk on that, whether we want, uh, are we going 30 minutes today or how long are we going? Yeah, we're we're basically going to do two segments, break break them down in 15 minutes. So, okay. And you got your notes. So I'm going to let you actually lead the train. Yeah, well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. You know, I guess I'm used to that. I, you know, being a head coach for as many years as I was. <laughs> um, but um, you know, 
you know, you brought up the, um, you know, just that stigma that is attached, you know, to mental health issues. And, you know, we, we talk to somebody almost daily. And I say we, my wife and I, um, as far as somebody might call or text or, um, you know, and just have some questions. And, and a lot of times my name is brought up because I have gone public, you know, with my own personal journey with severe depression, you know, at the, at the height of my coaching career. And, you know, I thought I'd share a, a story about kind of what you said and, and how you related, you know, many, many males, but also many females. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it depends on where you come from and all of the things that go with that. But we're, most of us are taught, like, you know what, let's not talk about mental health issues because that, that's something we keep in close, you know, behind closed doors and, uh, we don't want anybody to, you know, think that, you know, we might have something going on with us and, and all of those things. And and I might say that I do not question people that are completely silent when it comes to that. Here's what I want to impact people with, though, is the fact that, and you said this, that people have to know they're not going through it alone. Right. They have to know that there's many, many, many other people that are struggling with different types of of issues. You know, mine was severe depression and anxiety. And, you know, I still take medication to this day. And it's been 16 years ago during the course of that basketball season that, you know, that I had to miss 28 practices and eight games. And, you know, so I still address, you know, uh, what's, what's happening with me. And, and you know, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what that means simply is, um, you know, and matter of fact, when the doctors told me that, it gave me you know some relief. And and I thought, well, it's a chemical imbalance. So you mean it's like you know you just address it like you do a broken arm or a heart attack or you know any other normal uh, I say normal, but I mean many people struggle with physical ailments. But when we talk about the brain, they don't think that it's uh, that's something that we can share with anybody else. And you know what we've been trying to talk about openly and honestly has been. Listen, I want to give everybody permission to, to share your own story, to share a little bit with whoever it is that you need to share it with or want to share it with, because I can promise you when you share a little bit of your own personal journey, it will impact somebody else. It Absolutely. will impact them in a positive way. You know, it's, uh, you know, since COVID hit and, and you know, all the, you know, they, you know, what, what they're saying is statistically anyway is that, the 50, alcohol sales are up 54% from what they were prior to COVID. Uh, drug addiction is a lot higher. Suicide rate is much higher. Um, so mental health issues, therefore, is much, much higher. Right. And, and understandably, understandably so. Um, it's, you know, I think all of us in some form or another, and some more than others, have been affected by what's taking place with COVID-19. And I'm so... I feel so blessed today and I hope um, and, and I pray that as we continue to go forward that, you know, I'm sitting in my house today, but I, you know, I was out in the public today and I didn't have a mask on and you know, I've been <laughs> vaccinated and you know, I've had the vaccination, I should say. And, and uh, you know, it feels good to have that peace to be out in the public again, speaking to people uh, in a normal way, if you know what I mean. Right. And um, so, so I just uh, really appreciate your, your uh, opening remarks there that, you know, talking about how you're not alone. And, and when you do struggle, there's, there's always somebody else out there that's struggling as well. Matter of fact, uh, there's many, many people that struggle, as I said before. And I want to tell a little story um, about, you know, 
our opportunity. This is when I ask when I when I make the comment how important it is to share your own personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many people are uncomfortable with that, and I'm and, and 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 I hope they understand. Whoever's listening to this, I hope they understand. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you being anybody being uncomfortable with sharing their own personal journey with it. But I also want to I want to share with them and with you. Um, how important it really is. And what I want to share is a story about, uh, you know, actually, you know, Newman University. So I've, I've been, you know, my wife and I have been to 22 different states. So we've traveled the country, we've been oh, in wow. every, you know, every side of you know, the country, every part of the country, I should say. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked mostly on mental health and my own personal journey and, and really, you know, given other people permission to understand it's okay to get help. And, um, and we, so I, I was asked to speak um, at, at a university um, that is very near and dear to my heart. That's Newman University. Right. And, um, and and when they asked me to speak, they said, Coach, we want, you know, we want you to come in. We want you to, you know, to tell your own personal journey just like you do everywhere else. And, um, you know, I had been at the time three years removed from, you know, being the head coach there. So there were certain there were some people in the audience that knew me, but but very few of the student athletes really knew me at that particular time. And so I gave the presentation. It's about an hour. Uh, my wife speaks for about 10 minutes um, at, toward the end of the presentation. And she speaks on the caretaker side of it right? and what that looks like. Because many people listening, uh, you know, it's in your audience will be thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to get my husband or my wife or my son or daughter help. And I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do or how to go about it. And that's where my wife comes into play. But I tell you all of this for this reason. When we finished the presentation that night, um, I might get a little emotional here as I speak. I, you know, I don't, I, you know, when I speak about something I'm passionate about, it's just, it just comes out sometimes. That, that's fine. Just be um, real. <laughs> and, um, you know, but, but I spoke, you know, as I always do, no matter where I'm at, from the bottom of my heart and gave them, you know, everything that happened to me personally from a severe depression standpoint, everything that happened prior to it, you know, hitting me, everything that happened in the midst of it, and then, you know, what we've done since then, what I've done since then. And it's been 16 years since I've been in severe depression. That being said, we still address it, you know, I still address it with taking medication. But mm-hmm. I say we, you know, my wife and I are in this thing together. So when I say we, I, I, right. I think it's really important that most family members all, all understand that if somebody's struggling with some type of mental health issue in their family, the whole family is affected. Right. That's why I always use the word we versus, you know, I. Um, but I, I share all that with you for this reason. After, after the presentation was over, there was a handful of students, as almost always happens, comes and speaks to us. And, you know, wants to, you know, have to get some more information and that type of thing. And, and, and so it was, you know, an awesome thing for me to be able to speak to my own university. Well, the following week, I went to a men's basketball game and a women's basketball game. And I walked into the gymnasium, the, the same gymnasium I had been the head coach at for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the trainers, one of the trainers flagged me down, the athletic trainers, and said, hey, coach, I want to talk to you real quick. I said, okay. And. The trainer said, Coach, I need you to know that um, that you saved one of our athletes' life last Wednesday night. And I, I said, what do, you, what do you mean? She said, well, one of our athletes um, 
had really, really been struggling. Matter of fact, uh, after you guys spoke, uh, she called her mom and dad who was, who was out of state and told them, listen, I'm really struggling. I just listened to Coach Potter you know, talk about his own personal journey. I'm really struggling and I need some help. And so what ended up happening was the mom and dad contacted the training room. The trainers then put into, into action a game plan for her to get the kind of help that she needed. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the athletic trainer told me this. What you don't know, coach, is that that athlete had their suicide planned on Saturday, which is three days after I spoke there. Wow. And had it all planned out because they felt alone. So I said a lot of things to get to that end of that story, but they felt alone. They didn't understand or realize that, listen, if I just reach out, there's many people that will help me. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll walk the walk with, you know, we'll hold your hand throughout the process. And I tell everybody that I speak to that same exact thing is that, you know, we're willing to do whatever it is that we need to do to help you understand it's okay uh, to really attack that stigma that says you're not supposed to get help and attack the stigma that says, um, you know, we can't tell anybody else about it. I, I just think that I share that story with you because Anybody listening to this, mm-hmm. they might say, well, that's Coach Potter. He's a well-known, you know, basketball coach, blah, 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 right? Right. And I say that about you, the blah, blah, blah about me, okay? I'm not really that well-known. <laughs> but I did do it for a long time, right? Right. But I, I tell you that for this reason. They may be thinking, well, that's him telling his story, and he's a good speaker, and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. I always tell our audience that if you will share your own personal journey with your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, they will then understand that we all have struggles. Right. And I think that that's where we've missed it is that, is that we as adults have said, you know, I can't show weakness to my children or to my grandchildren. And, and quite frankly, I don't see that as weakness anyway. I see that as great strength, being able to admit the fact that, you know what, I've had struggles in my life, mm-hmm. and guess what? And, you know, I have a six-year-old granddaughter just sitting in the other room in there, and, and I don't know when that age is going to be, but it's going to be really soon that I'm going to sit her down, and I'm going to speak to her openly and honestly about my own personal journey. And, and the reason I'm going to do that is for her to understand, listen, my poppy, which is what they call me, mm-hmm. my poppy went through some struggles if i go through struggles it's okay to reach out and get help absolutely and it's that vulnerability that you know i hope to be able to share with the audience today and 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 with you that uh you know truly truly makes the difference and whether we can you know not just save lives but change lives right you know come out of their silence and help them go get the kind of help that they need so there you go my man absolutely now, what I'm going to do, because we're getting close to that 15-minute mark, I'm going to take a break right here. And when we come back, I want to ask you some things, because now it looks as if the NFL is starting to step up and make their mark yes. into mental health awareness, thanks to one guy, Dak Prescott. So when we come back, we're going to talk about that and anything else you want to talk about, because the floor is yours. So. Stay tuned. A Transports Talk Podcast will be right back after these messages. Welcome back once again to the A Transports Talk Podcast. A special guest, uh, 
keynote speaker, a husband, a father, a grandfather, and just a people person and a friend of mankind, Coach Mark Potter. And I, I'm stuck with saying coach because that's what I've known you as for such a long time. But it, it comes with time. Eventually, I'll say speaker Mark Potter. As, <laughs> as uh, honestly, I'd rather you call me coach. You know, okay. people ask me that all the time. And and you know when you know when I grew up, when when you and I both grew up, there was a, a, a respect when you called somebody coach. Right. You know. And. Um, you know, I hope to continue that on a little bit. I hope I have that same respect as I continue on with, you know, whatever it is that I do. But, you know, I was a head coach for 30 years. Yeah. And uh, and so that's always a great thing to me. When And, and don't get me wrong, if people don't call me coach, I'm, I'm good with that too. But it's always just a – it's like, man, I, I feel, you know, because I never – you know, I never forget my old high school coach. Right. Just the respect that he had. And, you know, every coach that I've ever had, that ever I ever played for, or any coach that I know, I always call them coach. Right, and and I learned that lesson too. And then we're going to get on back into this. But I was at Wilbur Junior High. It goes to tell you how old I am because now they call it middle school. And <laughs> there was a coach there by the name of Coach Nash. See, I can't even say his first name, and I know his first name. But yep. I was getting beside myself. As my dad used to say, I was getting a little bit too big for my britches. And <laughs> I started calling Coach by his first name. And he didn't really say nothing until uh-huh. the cheerleaders came into the men's locker room and we saw a glimpse and we was hoorahing. And Coach lost his cool. He came in there, quieted us down, and then he called me out. He said, and Smith, he didn't call me by my first name. He said, Smith you going to get in trouble about calling me out by my first name. And he said, <laughs> next class, we're having cake and ice cream. Now, I'm trying to figure out what cake and ice cream was. The next class came, we had our regular activities. But a couple of days later in gym class, it was boot camp. I never called him by his first name no more. Every time I seen him, and if I see him today, hey, coach, how you doing? <laughs> Respect. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, and I have a lot of respect for that. And, and uh, you know, so anyway, that's a whole other story. Right. But, you know, prior to the break there, you uh, you mentioned Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. And, and uh, you know, like we were talking about whether we talked much about that the, the time before when I came on your show and on your podcast. Yeah. And, um, and I, I don't I, – I, even if we did, I want to I wanna talk about it again. Right. Because of the significance that Dak Prescott – what he means to not just the NFL, but what he means to um, all of America yeah. in regards to severe depression and anxiety and the struggles that go along with that. Because when we see Dak Prescott, you know what we think of. We, we're, we're all guilty of this. We think, man, starting quarterback, NFL, he's got all kinds of money. He mm-hmm. doesn't have any problems. And if he did, why would he have any problems? Right. We're all guilty of probably saying that at some point. And and I, I think it's really important to point out, and, you know, I hope this comes across okay, but it's important to point out that when there are fans out there that, that get after 
you know, the, the, especially the NFL players. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they're huge fans and they go on social media and they talk negative about uh, certain players here and there. Well, all of those players have to, you know, have to go through that at the highest level. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're Dak Prescott and you're, the, and you're the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, now you can multiply that times probably 10 from other normal NFL teams because he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. They're right. America's team, so to speak, right? Right. Um, it, back in the day, obviously, they had the Cowboys on all the time. Well, well I tell you this, for, I, 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 got a, uh, I got a message from one of my best friends when, uh, when that all went down with Dak Prescott and Skip Bayless. And, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm bringing up Skip Bayless, most people know he you know, has a show on ESPN and he gives his own opinion on certain things and, and I've been a long time since I've been that fired up. But Skip Bayless, on his show, said after Dak Prescott had come, had gone public and and talked openly and honestly about his own struggles. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he had come out and he had talked about it openly and honestly. And Skip Bayless goes on his show and he basically annihilated Dak. Yeah. And. And I was fired up at another level because I'm just like, you have no understanding. He said this. He said, you know, I don't think a, a quarterback of an NFL team, a guy that is leading a team, yep. should be showing the type of weakness um, that Dak Prescott showed. That was what his comment basically was, right. not quoting him exactly. And, and here's what I want to say about Dak Prescott and what he did is that he now has more respect from his team, from those guys that are playing underneath him and for him and with him and his coaches. He has more respect from them than he has ever had this entire life. Right. Because he went public mm-hmm. and because he talked openly and honestly about his own struggles after having a brother that died by suicide back in, in April um, and struggling, you know, Dak struggling obviously after that and then COVID, all that stuff hits. I mean, you multiply all that. Yeah. And any of us could have gone through severe depression. And and I think that, you know, that um, that false, that, that lie about the, the lie that all of us believe, or at some point all of us have believed, well, you know, NFL players, they shouldn't have to struggle. They don't struggle like that. Well, I have so much respect for Dak Prescott. I am not a Dallas Cowboys fan, by the way. I never have been. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I love Dak Prescott. He became my favorite player Absolutely. after he came out and he talked openly and honestly about his own struggles because I knew at that point in time he's going to change the world. He is going to change the trajectory of how people are thinking about mental health issues. And, uh, man, he just uh, he's my MVP. Right. <laughs> and, and the thing you said about Dak was you said he has gained respect of basically the Dallas Cowboys organization, but it has even gone beyond that. There were players that Way he played that. against that said, thank you for opening up. Now I can share my – so it's like he was the one that got the ball rolling. Now the NFL has jumped on board to bring awareness to mental health issues. Now one question I do want to ask you when we're dealing with mental health issues, there seems to be a division because it seems like people want to separate – depression from mental health when in reality you can't do that it's all one in the same and there's different levels of depression 
just like there's That's different right. mental health issues. So can you break that down so that the listening public will know what it is? Yeah, Be- and, and I'm not maybe 100% exactly what you're asking there in regard. What I think you're saying is that when people will not openly sometimes admit the fact that um, that a mental health issue is the same as depression, is that what you're saying? Well, it seemed like people would like want to separate the two, like, depression is in a category by itself and then there's mental health issues when depression is actually part of the mental health issue so yeah i got you now yeah well i mean you said it best and and um you know the only way i can break it down is that um you know there are you know who knows how many uh different types of um mental health issues that you could put underneath mental health issues right or mental health um, problems, whatever you want to say, or just, you know, mental health awareness issues, whatever you want to say, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's bipolar, it's, it's, um, you, you can go down a long list of any type of mental health issue that goes underneath that. And, and depression, and I think really what you're referring to is that huge stigma that is attached to, uh, attached to depression. And, mm-hmm. Not that it's not attached to other mental health issues, because it is. And that's really what we're trying to attack is, um, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, um, you know, I, I do openly and honestly talk about, I had, in, in my own personal journey, I had suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not an easy thing for me to tell people. Well, um, the reason I share that with everybody is that, you know, nobody would think Coach Potter or Dak Prescott, or or you, or my wife, or whoever, they wouldn't think they would have like actual, especially a people person, somebody that loves people, that enjoys speaking to anybody and everybody. You see those people as having it all going on for them, mm-hmm. whereas most of the time, what's going on on the outside isn't always exactly what's going on on the inside. Right. And um, and so, um, you know, I I just think it's important for. The, uh, your audience to understand that mental health is a whole gamut of things and it's not negative um, in regards to if you're struggling your, yourself, if you're struggling personally with it, I should say, it's not a negative. What is a negative is that we believe the stigma. That's right. the negative part. And then therefore we suffer in silence and we don't reach out to get help from anybody. Right. And that's when people, you can, you can, you know, people will self-medicate more. Uh, people will isolate themselves more. Um, there's all different kinds of ways people react. But, um, you know, many, 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 you know, we, we talk about depression kills, right? Mm-hmm. Depression, we know if we continue to allow it to, you know, to fester, so to speak, um, it, it could potentially get us. Right. And it, it is a life and death thing. And so that's why I'm so adamant about speaking openly and honest about it. And that's why I'm so adamant about what Dak Prescott did. So when you brought him up, I was just like, all right, man, more power to you. <laughs> right. So, so at best, it's best to say that, you know, in everything you just described, and I've seen this terminology on a company, in the company newsletter, a lot of people have what's called smiling depression. In other words, they're smiling on the outside, but they're 
really smiling to hide was on the inside because they haven't found that release. And the one thing I found out in dealing with people, not that I'm no psychiatrist or no doctor or anything, sometimes the best thing you could do for a person to find out when they're going through something is they don't need you to talk. They just need someone that they know will listen because That's that right. might help them out as well, too. You're a wise man. <laughs> you are a wise man. And I tell you, I tell you to add to that, um, you know, there are there are many small signs and, and symptoms that if we pay attention to them, um, you know, we might realize or recognize, you know what, there's something else going on. And, and at the right time, I always tell people this. Don't be afraid to ask somebody if if they are struggling and if it if, if you can help them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's a fear about, there's a fear behind like, well, I don't want to meddle in somebody's business and you know, I don't want to, you know, you know, I don't want them thinking I'm trying to you know, I tell people it's life and death. And it honestly is. And we don't know uh, whose depression might end up creating, you know, the suicidal thoughts and therefore somebody leading to suicide. And um, you know, so that's why I talk openly and honestly about it. That's it's why, you know, you and I just said it like it was, right. It's, you know, people struggle and, and it's normal for people to struggle. And so uh, I'll say it one more time. You know, it's, it's absolutely normal to struggle with a mental health issue. Absolutely. But what we want to really emphasize is that what's not good or not normal, however you want to say it is not doing something about it. Right. That's where you really want to make sure everybody hears, listen, you don't have to feel that way. Um, There, you know, and, and I honestly, with my own personal journey, I didn't know that. I just thought my anxiety level, that's just the way it was. Uh, I didn't have any idea they could, you know, address that. I didn't have any idea we could, you know, once you come out of depression, there's different things you can work on in regards to mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, if all the things that can help your brain and help you think the correct way and most importantly give you some peace absolutely well coach I got it right we're coming up on that time again and it seems like there's never enough time so here's what I'm going <laughs> here's what I'm going to say anytime you feel like you want to come on and you have something you want to address all you have to do is just let me know and you have that you, spot. It, you pick you can pick the time and the date and we will make it happen if it's three o'clock in the morning which i doubt if that will happen but if it's three o'clock in the morning as long as never know as long as it's on the weekend <laughs> we can do it so once again i want to thank my guest mark potter for appearing as a passenger on the a train sports talk podcast as we talk about mental health issues for this is national mental health month so once again coach parter i want to say thank you for joining the show thank you so much and and keep doing what you're doing uh because you're impacting people through what you're doing so so thank you so much for what you do absolutely coach anthony smith here with a train sports talk podcast your conductor just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported that's right driven by you the listener who wants to support so click on that support button down there you have three options 99 cents a month 
$4.99 a month or $9.99 a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome into the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith, as I always say, this train is building up ahead of steam and picking up passengers. And my passenger today, he's well-known in the city of Wichita and probably a whole lot of points beyond. He is currently host or co-host. I say he's the host, and everybody else is just a tag-along of the drive that you can hear from four to six Monday through Friday. Also a well-known columnist, unfortunately the Wichita Eagle isn't what it used to be. And I miss those columns he used to write. Sometimes they were controversial. Sometimes I would say it came off as Rush Limbaugh. But the one thing you could never say about this man, he never printed a lie and he never told a lie. My good friend, Bob Lutz. Bob, welcome on board. Anthony, I've never been compared to Rush Limbaugh uh, before. <laughs> uh, so thank you, I guess, I, although not really. But thank you for having me on your podcast today. I thank you for being on. I, I've had the opportunity to talk to others. I've had Coach Sharks, Coach Martineau. And I always say, if I can get Bob loose, because one of the things I remember growing up listening to radio talk shows i would listen to the syndicated guys but it wasn't nothing like listening to your local guys and i remember i believe it started out with you and bruce hurdle i would listen to you guys and then y'all got to a place called side pockets i'm like i want to go meet these guys because i always wanted to put the face with the voice so i knew exactly who it was i was dealing with and the one thing I can say about you, Bob, is you've always been the same, whether it was writing newspaper columns, on the radio, even to today, you're still the same, Bob, and that's what I like about you. You never change, and you're very entertaining. So tell me what got you started first, whether it been writing newspaper columns in the radio. What got you started? What was the motivation behind your start? Well, I, I was a newspaper person long before I was a radio person, but actually – when I was a kid, I was I wanted to be a radio play-by-play announcer, and uh, that was kind of a dream. And uh, as life evolves, sometimes our dreams don't always come to fruition. But I went to 
uh, get into journalism, found out I had a little bit of a aptitude for being able to write and and that's kind of that's kind of where my career went. I was uh, lucky enough to always kind of sports talk radio. Never did the play-by-play that I really dreamed of doing when I was a child. But uh, I think combined, I've done about 21 years now of uh, sports talk radio in the Wichita market, and uh, that that fits my personality well, and I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed it. I've had an opportunity to have a career that that I've really enjoyed, and, and uh, so I'm a lucky guy, Anthony. And one thing I noticed even today, as I listen to your show, you're able to pull in a lot of guests, and whether it be local guests or national guests, I mean, and everything isn't always sports-related. You bring musicians on you bring band members on it's like you have this connection how did you get to that i have to say how did you get to that plateau because you're touching you're reaching out to people that even people on the national level don't reach out to well i appreciate that you know uh when we went when we set out to do this show and we've been doing it now a little over uh five years almost five and a half years uh, the goal was to be different and not just be a traditional sports talk show. So we do include pop culture, entertainment, music, movies. Uh, we have Mike Purchase on every week, who's a local guy who really uh, knows pop culture and is an interesting guy to talk to. And then Jack Oliver, our friend from KEYN, has been tremendously helpful in finding best for us from the national level entertainers. I mean, we've talked uh, we've talked to all kinds of people uh, that, that even having an opportunity to talk to because of Jack's connections, and uh, we've kind of become that show that you listen to and you never you, we the, we hope you never quite know what we're going to give you on a daily basis. We hope to uh, to surprise our listeners from time to time, and then and uh, keep them engaged. I will say this about the show. It reminds me of a slogan that they have at a racetrack. It says, we'll, I think it says something like this. We'll save you a seat, but you'll only need the edge. So I have to say in a good in a good way, your show keeps us on the edge of our seats because we don't know what we'll get from time to time. And that's the good thing. Because if you if you become too predictable, then you become stagnant. And the one thing I can say about the drive is it's never stagnant now i have to ask you this question you and jeff i hear a lot of comments i gotta know what question you're already gonna ask i I hear a lot of comments about the banter going on between you and jeff but i always say i love it because it kind of reminds me sometime on another show of the odd couple which is chris broussard and uh rob parker Sometimes that's how y'all come across, but I like it. So how did y'all build that type of radio report? I know it's a father-son combination, and that might be one of the first, at least here in the city, as a father and son duo on the radio. How how did y'all how y'all pull that up? Do y'all plan this or is it just off the top? It's it's as real as it gets. I mean, it's uh it's what our relationship is. Uh, we battle at times. I certainly have a great amount of 
love for Jeff. He's my only child, and uh, we went through a lot together. And uh, here we are on the other end of that. He's he's approaching 40 years old, and uh, we thought this radio partnership relationship uh, would be entertaining to people. And, and a lot of people enjoy the banter. Some people don't. Some people think I'm too rough on Jeff. Uh, that's okay. It's uh, it's a radio show. It's entertainment, and uh, that's what we do. I have to say though that you know Jeff now is on the show uh, less than he used to be. I'm taking a, a little bit of a hiatus from uh, the drive so that I can concentrate on League 42 and the season that we have coming up. So for the next uh, ten weeks or so, it'll be a little bit different show. Uh, my plan is to return in July on, on around July 19th. And, and, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Jeff will be able to do as many shows as he has been, but we'll keep the drive alive in some fashion or another. We've got, uh, co-hosts like Jason Duda and Jamin Anderson and Anthony Capra. So, uh, we're, we're, we're going to figure out how to keep that show uh, viable. They, they had me kind of nervous yesterday. I have to admit, because when I tuned in, I didn't hear the regular voices. So I'm thinking it's a national syndicated show on. And then they finally said, call the show at 869-1240. I'm like, okay. Whew. But speaking of League 42, that's because I definitely want to talk about that. So you helped me lead into that. League 42, if I'm correct, you had a hand in getting that started. Who are some of the people yeah. on your staff? I, I noticed there was, if I'm correct, I believe there was Larry Dennis, which I – group with the Dennis family, great family, great background. But what was the concept of getting League 42 started? Now, I know 42 is the number of Jackie Robinson, but what was the right. concept behind it? And, you know, and I know it's dealing with baseball. And how can we get, and I know you can ask this question honestly and truthful, how can we get more people of color involved in the game of baseball? Because we don't see a lot at the high school level, college level, and if it's going to start, it would have to start this level. So, what are y'all doing to reach out to the community? Well, that was the uh, that was the idea that I had for many many years leading up to League Forty Two is that uh, we we need to get more uh, black kids, more Hispanic kids, uh, the opportunity to play uh, and make it affordable, make it easily accessible. So we uh, headquartered our league at, at McAdams Park which has so much history in the black community. Uh, that was eight years ago. We're now, uh, we're now a league of around 600 kids annually. A good percentage of those are African-American. A growing percentage of those are Hispanic. And uh, we are cognizant of trying to reach out to those uh, communities and to engage them and to get them interested, you know, uh, basketball and football are so prevalent in the, uh, in the black culture with kids and we're making inroads baseball. We, we think, uh, we think kids should try a variety of sports when they're young, see what they uh, enjoy, see what they're good at. And, uh, so league 42 has been a success. We've moved, moved, uh, into the education realm, the social justice realm, we're doing some things in those areas. 
Uh, we're going to build a facility just across the street on 17th from McAdams that will house a, a computer lab for after-school tutoring and reading and math. So we're really expanding what we're trying to do, and uh, we think that uh, we think we'll become even even more uh, viable here in the next year or two. So now let me ask you this question because I know there's a lot of work going over there at McAdams. They, you know, the swimming pool. I, I noticed the basketball court had a funky look to it. Uh, but one of the things that I'm reminded of, and I know you probably got to lock elbows with the late Goose Dowdy, as well as he was as a basketball coach, he also pushed tennis. So he was kind of outside the box because you never know too many coaches of his status that would also be involved in tennis. And I think he was also trying to get more people involved, you know, outside of basketball and football. What is your recollection of Goose Dowdy and what he was trying to accomplish outside of basketball? I knew Goose well, and Goose was a tremendous athlete uh, in his day and a very, very good tennis player. So he took that passion and and, uh, tried to bring it to the black community at McAdams Park. The, The tennis courts there are named after Goose. He had a very successful summer tennis program uh, that attracted a lot of kids. And, uh, yeah, Goose uh, Goose was a pioneer, really, in that area. Of course, most people knew him as a very successful basketball coach at Heights. Uh, but I think Goose, Goose loved the game of basketball. Uh, he was a tremendous player down at Langston University in Oklahoma. But I really think tennis was his passion, and uh, he was uh, very passionate, as I said, and enthusiastic about getting kids involved in that game. So, yeah, Goose Goose was a pioneer in that area for sure. And since we're speaking of Goose, because I'm I'm gonna ask you a question about a lot of as a lot of people as thirty minutes will allow us to do. But if I'm correct, Goose came after the legendary Lafayette Norwood. There was actually, Anthony, one coach in between them at Heights. His name was Steve Carmichael. Okay. I think he coached one year at Heights after uh, Lafayette Norwood went to KU with Darnell Valentine. Mm -hmm. Steve Carmichael took over that program. And then the following year, uh, Goose Doughty became the head coach. And then Goose coached for, for a long time and was replaced by Joe Auer, who's been at Heights now for well over 20 years. So it's been basically three coaches, uh, Lafayette Norwood, Goose Dowdy, and Joe Auer, who have been at Heights since, uh, my goodness, uh, the early 1970s. That that sounds like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They just don't change coaches, huh? <laughs> So no, they've had remarkable continuity at that school in basketball and a lot of success. So that's probably the reason. So if if UCLA or they say the Pac-12 is the conference of champions, then Heights would be known as the school of champions because it started back in the days. Lafayette Norwood they had that undefeated Heights team. What do you remember about Goose Dowdy and not Goose, Lafayette Norwood and that Wichita Heights team, as we know them as Hollywood Heights. 
Right. I, I, I actually covered that team in 1976-77, the, the team you're talking about that was undefeated. I had just, uh, I was a 21-year-old kid at the time, uh, pretty, pretty wet behind the ears. And I was covering this team of, of unbelievable athletes at Heights. You had Darnell Valentine and Calvin Alexander, Doc Holden, Antoine Carr, James Carr. Uh, quite a few others, and they were uh, unbeatable. Uh, they were like nothing I'd ever seen. And Darnell Valentine was the best defensive high school player I've ever seen. Uh, that that team had one marginally close game all season long. I think they had a nine-point win over South. The rest of their wins were in double digits, and many of them 20- and 30-point wins, including – beating Kansas City Wyandotte uh, by close to 40 points in the state championship game that year. So that's that's the best high school basketball team I've ever seen, and I can't imagine there's ever been a better one in the state of Kansas. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. I'm going to put you on the spot now. The Perry Ellis-led Heights team, I think they won, what, three, four state championships in a row? One, four in a row. Perry's a four-time champion. Four-time champion. How would – Either one of those teams stack up against that undefeated Heights team. Well, Joe Iron never likes my answer to this. And and those Heights teams were fantastic. They also had an undefeated state championship team. Uh, you know, you get Perry Ellis and Evan Wessel and a lot of the, the players that were uh, at Heights during that era. Uh, those were very, very, very good teams. I don't think they would beat the 70s. 677 Heights team. Uh, that's the best team I've ever seen. And uh, with no disrespect to the Perry Ellis generation of Heights, because what they accomplished was phenomenal. But I think the, the Heights team from the 76 77 season is a once in a lifetime type of team. Absolutely. And in regards to that, state championship team that that team beat Kansas City wind up by 40. If I'm correct, because I had James Carr on my show, and he basically said that was basically payback because I think Wyandotte beat them like the year before or something like that. Yes, Larry Drew. Larry Drew, right. Beat uh, Heist the year before in the state title game. Now, let me ask you this, because this has always been intriguing to me, because in talking with James – he said that originally he was not supposed to even be at Heights. He was going to go to Cape and Mount Carmel. He said they grew up Catholic and he was going to go to Cape and Mount Carmel and they ended up moving, end up at Heights. So had the narrative not shifted and James Carr ends up at Cape and Mount Carmel and I would assume Antoine would probably end up there. How would Capon's program be perceived then? Because yeah, I never knew I never knew that about the cars going right. to Capon. That's almost unimaginable to me. Now, obviously, it would have uh, established Capon as you know. Capon in those years had a very fine basketball as well, and Greg Dryling, Dryling, right? American. He was a couple years younger uh, than Antoine, and I think four years younger than James. So they would not have 
James would not have necessarily played with Greg Darling, but Antoine might have had a year or two with Greg Darling. Ooh, that would have been scary. That would have been good. Yeah. So yeah, I just I just had to get it up because I didn't know if you had known that or not. So when James mentioned, I said, let me think about that and bring that up because that would be very interesting. That would have been like a pipeline from the cars to Dryling, and no telling what else could have been of that Cape and Mount Carmel program. Now you've yeah. been you've been in Wichita. You've seen a whole lot of sports. Uh, as a matter of fact. What's your memories of Wichita State football since we don't have a program? Outside of Prince McJunkins, rest in peace. What's your memories of Wichita State football? Because as I look through some of the you know, dialogue of Wichita State football, there's been some well-known names, but that's all it is, is the names. Who are some names you remember from Wichita State football era? Well, I started going to Wichita State football and basketball games when I was – really young, uh, I had an aunt who was a professor at Wichita State, and she would give my dad her two season tickets for both football and basketball. So uh, we were lucky there, too. You know, I gained a deep appreciation, and I was a huge Shocker fan when I was a kid. So it was fun to go to football games, even though it wasn't uh, a great uh, program. There were moments, and they had good players, so it was fun to watch. Uh, and you mentioned Prince McJunkins and his uh, untimely death here uh, earlier this year was extremely hard uh, because uh, Prince was, you know, he, had, he, he was such a good guy as well as a fantastic football player and probably – uh, the best football player at Wichita State, at least during the modern era, I think a lot of the old guys would say Linwood Sexton was the best, but mm -hmm. Prince was certainly a tremendous football player, and it was sad to lose him, and it brought back a lot of memories of Shocker football, and it's hard to fathom that now it's been 35 years, 35 years Th right. since, uh, since there was a football program at Wichita State. That seems uh, impossible to believe, but uh, 1986, that was the last year. I was going to Hutchinson Community College at the time, and, you know, at that time we had some Florida guys on campus. They were playing football, and some of them, we happened to come to a game, and this is way after the Prince era. And when we get back to campus, they're talking about, we could have beat that team and blah, blah, this. I mean, they would not get off my Wichita State team, but I had to let them know we've actually had some celebrity coaches on that staff a long time ago. I mean, I've seen Philip Farmer's name on there. I've seen uh, – I know – Bill Purcells, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson. Uh, what's yeah. his name? Uh, he, he was with Dallas for – won championship with the New York Giants. What's his name? Bill Parcells. So, yeah. When when you see that collection of people that's actually come through Wichita State, and then you look in the record books, Joe Williams, sixty-seven yard field goal. You know whether we have a program or not, that is something in the record books that can't be taken away. The other thing in the record books that can't be taken away, Wichita State is the first school to hire an African American as a coach 
NCAA as we know it then as Division One, and that speaks volumes. Willie Jeffries. You're talking about Willie Jeffries. Willie Jeffries. Who was Prince McJunkin's coach. Absolutely. And Willie kind of breathed some life into the football program during the years he was there. They didn't always win, but they had an 8-3 season. Uh, and it, it was, you know, they they beat Oklahoma State. Uh, they beat uh, Kansas. They, they did some special things in that time. Uh, they just could never get the program uh, to a level where it could sustain itself on a high level. So eventually, when when in 1986, when uh, crowds were sparse and money was being lost. And Ron Chismar was the coach. The decision was made by Lou Perkins, the athletic director, to, to end the program and Warren Armstrong, the president. And uh, like I said, here we are 35 years later, and there's no sign of life that uh, football's coming back anytime soon. Right. One of the things I remember about during the Willie Jeffries era, and as he was getting, especially during that eight and three season, was the big game. Tulsa. Of course, Tulsa won the game, marched around the field in celebration. But can you tell me, trivia question, can you tell me who was coaching Tulsa at that time? You'll have to, you know what, that's not going to That's not gonna get into my brain. So you'll have to answer that one. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this because this is another legendary name and he ended up making his mark at Ohio State afterwards. John, John Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, I should have known that. Uh, that's, that's a sign of age, Anthony. I should have gotten that one. So – We've seen some people actually grace the sidelines, at least on the other side, or have come through Wichita State. And who would have imagined John Cooper coaching the Tulsa? And I think they went 10-1 that year. They beat us, and they got the automatic bowl bid to whatever the bowl was because had we won, we would have got a bowl game. Yeah. But just the thing, John Cooper coached on the sidelines opposite of Wichita State and ended up getting on at Ohio State. Yeah, there were there were a few times when that uh, the Stadium was was full, and it was it was fun. You know, it, it was fun. There were there were periods of excitement and optimism, but they just could never kind of they, they just could never sustain it. They could never make it permanent. Uh, they they take two steps forward and three steps back. So let me ask you this question because they went eight and three. The following year, they go three and eight. This is after the Prince McJunkins graduation. They go three and eight, but there's promise for next year's team because they got the returning quarterback, which I believe was Romy Mayfield. I don't know if you remember that name, but he I was do. he was the replacement for Prince McJunkins, and I think he had another year or so. But they fired Willie Jeffries, and they say it was because of declining attendance. But they had a promising team, but they bring in. Ron Chismar, who was an assistant at Arizona State, and he totally changes the style, and that basically killed the program. Do you think had Jeffries been given another year to right that wrong that the team could have probably got some sustainability? You know, that's one of those questions that uh, everybody will have an opinion on. I, I don't think that there would have been a sustainability I think Willie Jeffries was a very good football coach, and, and uh, but I think 
I think the time had come as it as it did for so many coaches. They they just couldn't establish a program. They would have some success, but you gotta you gotta do it on a more more uh, regular basis. So I think people were were excited when Chismar was Chismar was hired, and again another coach who uh, stepped into the situation of Wichita State and was really unable to establish a winning football program. Lots of those guys at Wichita State football through the years. Okay. Well, our time is about to grow short. Got like four minutes left, and you committed to 30 minutes, and I appreciate that, which means we're going to have to do this again. But well, basically with three, two minutes and some time left, give me a quick Mount Rushmore of basketball at Wichita State. Give me a starting five. Oh, the, the starting five. Boy, that's a you, you're gonna put me on the spot. Well, uh, let's see. The point guard would be Fred Van Vliet. I'll start there. Uh, the two guard uh, would be uh, boy. You got a lot of choices. Let's go to the center position next, okay? Okay. If you're talking about a true center, I think you'd pick uh, Robert Elmore. Okay. Uh, Dave Stallworth would be the small forward. Xavier McDaniel would be the power forward. And let's say, uh, man, the shooting guard would be Aubrey Sherrod. It could be Jason Perez. It could be Ron Baker. Uh, it could be Maurice Evans. You've got you got quite a few to choose from. So let's go with uh, let's go with uh, uh, Aubrey Sherrod. Okay, at the shooting guard. Although Ron Baker would be an excellent choice as well. Okay. Well, once again, and and, and I didn't even include Cleo Littleton. Right. So you you could have him too. Although I view him. It's hard to view him as a shooting guard with the style of basketball that they played during his era. He was more of a big man, mm-hmm. uh, even at six four. So it's it's a that's a tough one, but for sure, Stallworth X and Fred Van Vliet have to be in that lineup. The other positions, the center position and the shooting guard position, are a little more difficult to uh, to, to pinpoint. Well, once again. Bob Luce is my passenger on the A-Train Sports Talk. I want to thank you for your time. And we will definitely have to do this again. I know I put you on the spot in that last minute or so. So next <laughs> time we come back on, we're going to do an all-decade team, a team from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Then that way we won't be putting you on the spot. But once again, I want to thank you for joining me on my podcast. We'll have to do this again. And good luck with League 42. And is there a number of people can call you at so they can get in contact with would you for this I'll, uh, I'll give out an email address. It's league42wichita at gmail.com. League42wichita at gmail.com. And Anthony, you're a valued uh, voice of sports in this community, and uh, we appreciate all the times you call our show and hope that continues. All right. Once again, I do thank you. And this is Bob Lutz wrapping up this segment. I'll be back with more after this. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo!
Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. It's the train that's building up steam and picking up passengers along the way. And our passenger today, longtime coach. I believe he's been coaching 37, made of, just completed his 38th year. But he's beyond the coach. He's also, I would say, legendary status. But beyond the titles you can give him, he's also a mentor. He's a husband. He's a father. But not only that, he's also a father figure to many of great athletes that have come through the city of Wichita in his years of coaching. I'm talking about none other than the one and only Coach Weston Sharks. Coach, how are you doing this morning? Hey, what? Doing good. Got up and uh, did a little bit of work around the house and I was uh, looking forward to talking to you this morning. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. We just haven't been able to touch bases, but... You were, I can definitely say legendary status because now you are walking in hollowed halls and walking on hollowed grounds. And I never would have seen it coming, but how fitting is it that you're now coaching at Cape and Mount Carmel? Because when I think about what you've done coaching-wise, I was at West completing my 1985-86 year, and you was there. And at that same time, we got to see Barry Sanders play. So we go back a long ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, let me give you – you want me to give you a quick Barry Sanders story? Go uh, ahead. Yeah, we're playing a North High, first football game of the season. And he, he was a little slot back. He was not even the tailback. And Robert Metcalf, I don't know if you remember Robert or not, yep, was, playing, was playing free safety. And this little slot back gets the ball in the reverse, and he takes down the sideline. And I'm thinking, oh, Robert, to catch him. You know, Robert's a great player, and he'll have no problem taking him down. Well, Barry Sanders ran by him. Well, make a long story short, he did it three times that that game. He touched the ball four for three touchdowns, Mm -hmm. and Metcalf never tackled him. So, I mean, I'm chewing Metcalf out the whole game, the whole season. I'm on him saying, ah, you can't. You can't even catch number three from north, you know, just giving him a hard time because I really like Robert. But I didn't see Robert for about, oh, 20 years. And uh, I ran into him in a Mexican restaurant, and he came up to me, and he goes, Coach, do you know who that number three was? And I go, yeah. He goes, every time I watched him on TV, I thought of you yelling at me. So it's kind of a cool story, you know. I'm telling Robert, why can't he catch this guy? Only the greatest running back in the history of, of uh, the NFL and college and high school. He was amazing. But right. Robert and I still laugh about that today. But that guy was a pretty good football player. And as they say, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Now you can look back and say, didn't too many people catch him? Not even the cameraman could catch him. <laughs> no, he, he was something else. And I still remember getting on Robert and looking at him, and he, he looking at me like, Coach, this guy's pretty good. You know, we didn't really know who he was. We kind of had an idea, but oh, man, amazing. And going back to the Capen thing, you know, Capen's a, the last place I ever thought I'd coach football because I, I went to Southeast High School and we right. were big, rival, big rivals with Capen. I mean, big rivals. And um, you know, I, I got the opportunity to retire from USD 259 mm-hmm. and pick up a retirement check, which we all want to do at some point in our life, but I wasn't finished coaching. Okay. And, uh, I thought, you know, the only way I can continue coaching and stay in Wichita and, and, you know, be around my grandchildren would be at a private school. So 
Cape and open. I thought, you know, what a great spot to go coach. You know, it's a little different atmosphere, different mm-hmm. clientele, different, everything about it's different. Right. Let, let's see. Let's see if I can handle this, this situation. And you know what? We had a really good year this year. Uh, Absolutely. We had great, great players, uh, some great coaches. And the bottom line is people ask me the difference and there's not a lot of difference. Kids are kids. They want to be coached hard. They want to be, you know, uh, love. They want to be taught the game. Uh, I don't care what uh, economic background, what color, what race, what religion, any of those things, it doesn't really matter. They they want to be coached hard and, you know, um, so like they're important. So that's what we were able to do. Yeah, one of the things I was looking at last night as I was getting ready and kind of prepping myself mentally to do this podcast, because I'm not a professional by all means, but I was looking at one of the videos and it was talking about a new era begins. And one of the things you mentioned was, uh, I think it was on KWCH. You say, now the defense is set, but we have three or four running backs. We have three quarterbacks. I mean, everything was wide open, but when y'all played that first game, I believe it was against Dodge city and the mm-hmm. offensive output y'all had. And you're mm-hmm. like, Hmm. And that's when the confidence kicked in. No doubt about it. I mean, uh, these guys, I think, scored 70 points total the year before. Right. And and I get to practice and I look at them. I said, you know, we got defensive guys back, but do we have any offensive guys? And we were, to be real honest, I wasn't sure who the quarterback was going to be. I wasn't sure who the running backs were going to be. We just kind of did it by committee. And it, as we uh, got confidence in practice. The kids said, "You know what? Maybe we aren't that bad." They were two and seven the year before, and I said, "There is no way we're going to be two and seven this year. We have too much talent." And uh, we, the kids, bought in, and we were able to get a few breaks here and there, and and uh, uh, got the offense going. The old old school uh, West High offense. You know, the people say that's dead. Well, I got news for you. It's not dead. It's it's uh, it, it's done. A, uh, it's been good to us over there at Cape. Right. It, you know, it, it's funny that you said it because I see glimpses of like the option as they called it back in the day. Or uh, you know, Wichita State lost the legendary Prince McJunkins. So mm-hmm. back in those days, they called them option type quarterbacks. Nowadays, we call them dual threats, and we don't right. call the play the option no more. We call it RPO. The word option is still in there, except they throw the word run pass option but one thing you mentioned was you instill some confidence and one of the things i've noticed about you as a coach is that's what you do it's kind of like you father some of these kids but at the same time you instill confidence as a matter of fact i will go out on a limb and say it like this what you done at west high was kind of equivalent to what bill snyder did at kansas state not once but twice because you left West High and went to Northwest. And I have a thing to say about that because when Northwest opened up, West High, when Northwest opened up, it seemed like they always plucked the best from West High. That seemed like an ongoing tradition. You get the best from West. So when they got you, they got the best. But you went back home and you resurrected the program again. Uh, but a lot of those kids to this day will say that you were like a father figure to them and you instilled confidence not just on the field, but also in the game of life. Well, let me tell you something. The greatest thing that happens to a coach is when a guy that you coached or taught or were around in high school comes back to visit. 
comes back to uh, on Facebook and says hi. Uh, sends you a Father's Day text. Sends you a birthday text. The the wins are great, but they they go away. Relationships don't. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of great kids at West High School and Northwest and Capen. But let's call it like it is. When you when you send spend 27 years at a school, you, you kind of bleed maroon gold. That that part will never go out of me. But I I had great kids at West. I still can drive, you know, anywhere in town, uh, be at a store or wherever, or out to dinner, and I see West High guys and girls and that will come up and, and talk and and you know they, they just treat you like your family. There's something about West High School. If you've never been there, you don't get it. And yeah. and when I did go, I, I want to get into this just a little bit. When I did go to Northwest, <clears throat> the day I resigned at West High <clears throat> in 2001 was the worst day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember walking down the hallway and uh, everybody was crying. The players were crying. The, the students were crying. I was crying. Uh, it was just a situation that uh, <clears throat> I didn't have the same philosophy in coaching and teaching that the leadership at that time had. And I'm not a fake person. I'm, 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 it's tough for me to work for somebody that I just don't agree with. Mm-hmm. So I had to leave. And it, it was bad. It was a bad day. That was one of the worst days of my life. One of the best days of my life was when I got to come back uh, mm-hmm. 10 years later. And not to down my time at Northwest because I loved it. But, you know, when you, when you, it, it just wasn't home. And, you know, home is home and work is work. And Northwest was work. It was a great, good place, but it just, it just wasn't home. Driving there wasn't comfortable. Coaching there wasn't really overly comfortable. But, you know, when I went back the second time to West, I was back home and my, my, um, everybody told me I was crazy. They said, you are crazy to go back. You'll never you know, rebuild those to where they can at least have a winning seasons again. And I said, yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kids believed in it and we were able to do it our second year. First year we went three and six, which was an improvement from the one and eight that we took over. And then the next year we were six and three. So, mm-hmm. you know, West High, you know, this West High, something special about them. And yes. And when Northwest did open, they, they plucked a lot of kids away from West High mm-hmm. school in those things. But when I took the job the first time at West, I said, we got to keep our own, you know, or or we cannot let all these kids transfer and and leave and do those things. And once we were able to do that, the West High community had some faith in me uh, as a, probably more as a person than as a coach, uh, we turned it around because there's a lot, there's a lot of coaches out there that are way better than I am as far as coaching the game, but there's more to it. You know, the, those kids got to believe and, you know, you got to do the little things with them. And, you know, I've done some little things for guys in my lifetime and they they never forget it, you know, and they've done things for me that I'll never forget. So, you know, I could talk all day about West and what it meant to me and what it still means to me. But absolutely, uh, if you haven't been there, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's one thing, you know, talking about Northwest getting the best. I feel like I was at the time one of the best saxophonist in the city so when i transferred to west i came over there and hooked up with some guys that were probably better than me and we would have the band room rocking at lunchtime 
And I was like, when I had the chance to go back to Northwest and play in that jazz competition they had and we beat them, that was such a good feeling. But we, we're talking sports. So I want to talk about today now because, like I said, you're at Cape and Mount Carmel. And when I say you're walking on hollowed halls and on hollowed grounds, Ed Crewell, do you see any artifacts around there that reminds you of him? And do you feel like there is any amount of pressure to sustain the success that you built upon this past season? Oh, no, let's talk about the Crewell thing first. Well, you, you got to realize that all of my years at West High School, the old timers never thought I was good enough. It was always Eddie Crewell. So I, I did walk in his shadow, kind of. I never felt horribly about it, but I was always in his shadow with the old timers. No matter what we did, it was never good enough. If we won a city championship, the old people would say, well, we won three with Coach Ed Crewell in a row. I was never trying to measure up to Ed Crewell at West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just trying to be myself. And I was, I'm was i a much different coach and guy than Coach Crewell was. So, yeah, that was a tough situation. But now you're talking about going to Cape and, and following. I don't care who, who coaches at Cape and you'll always follow Ed Crewell. Gary Guzman followed him. And Coach Edelhart followed him. There's only been five coaches in the history of Cape and Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. and uh, they they uh, you're going to always be in his footsteps if if you if you let yourself be in his footsteps. But I'm at the point in my life where you know what I, I'm I'm me. He was him, and yeah, when you walk in, you see the 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 records of teams he had, and and you know you see his picture, which is well deserved, and. And all the accolades, it's well-deserved. Um, but, you know, I am who I am, and we're going to go with that. But going back to pressure, huh, when you when you go take a team from 2-7 and seven to 8-2, and two, they're gonna, people may expect that all the time. And it, all, I'm, all I can ever give anybody is my best. Right. And if my best isn't good enough, um, then so be it. And, and, you know, so the pressure part uh, – of, of people expecting eight and two every year. I, I expect to have good teams every year also, but there are going to be some years that you don't quite have the players or the talent, or you don't get some breaks and, and things are going to not go your way. But, you know, the most successful team and people will, will find this really, really hard to believe that I've ever coached was 1987 at West high school. Those kids, that I had on that team, we were one and eight. It was my first year, but they all learned something and they all, most of them became very productive people in society, a bunch of teachers, you know, a bunch of very good citizens. And I'm proud of that team. 1987. 1987. All right. Yep. All right. So now I have to ask this because this past year was what we call a trying year. It, For a moment, it looked like there wasn't going to be a football season. Then there was a season, but then we had to deal with interruptions in the season. Uh, Now, you guys had a pretty good schedule. But I had a good chance to talk with your good friend across town, Steve Martin. And one of the things, because their season was was basically in shambles pretty much because the fact they couldn't play their normal – opening, you know, Capon, Carroll, Heights, and then whatever else happens. 
So from a competition standpoint in the City League, when you look at the teams up eastward, like your Mill Valleys and where they get to play across state, would you like to see something like that within the city, you know, to help bolster your competition, to prepare you for state playoff games? Because when you play those teams from other parts of the state, they're already battle tested. So what can be done about that or what can be done to improve the competition in the city, per se? Well, you know, um, we do have two games a year that we can go out and play whoever we want. So, you know, like Derby chooses to, you know, play two really good teams and, and Northwest does. And, you know, so you, you have some flexibility, but I'd like to see us add one more game that we could go out and play outside competition, which would be three outside competitions and five city league schools. If you, if you really look at the schedule, um, there is a city league championship still, but there's been years that we would be uh, uh, five and one and Carol would be five and one and we hadn't played each other. So you would tie for the championship and, 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 you know, so we really don't have a true championship because we don't, all play each other. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, uh, you know, put a little damper on it, but we, I would love to see the ADs give us one more week that we don't have to play a city team because it not, not to put anybody down, but it does Northwest no good to play North high school mm-hmm. or, you know, teams that are really, really struggling. Uh, it doesn't do North any good to play Northwest. So it would allow us to play some people, like you said, that, uh, from the eastern part of the state that would get us ready for uh, uh, state competition. Now, we played a WAC schedule this year, which is Garden, Dodge, Hayes, you know, those types of schools. And mm-hmm. we felt like we uh, played some pretty good competition. It was a little down in the WAC, but it was better than playing some of the lower-level city league schools. It was better for us as, as a football team. But, yeah, it'd be nice to have an extra week. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Classifications, 6A, 5A, 4A. And I'm looking at this playoff week after week, and I'm like, well, seem like this classification is just as strong as this. Because seem like back in the day when you said 6A, that meant you was the cream of the crop. 5A, well, Capon's pretty much been 5A pretty much throughout their career. There wasn't too much of a talent drop. What's the difference Today versus, let's say, even when you played and sued up in a golden buffalo uniform, because I saw that picture on Facebook. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I'll say, um, some of your inner city schools, west, north, east, southeast, and well, not so much southeast, but uh, south, <clears throat> they have large um, populations. <laughs> Excuse me. Um but they don't have a lot of kids playing football. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore they're playing six, a uh, football and they're not able to compete because they, they can't like North high. They're, they're over 2000 students. They can barely field a football team. Inner city kids are, we're, we're, we're losing them to, you know, other things. And we're not, they're not going out for football and doing those things anymore. So therefore six, a football to me, is not the best level of football to me. Five A football is because now you're getting into to towns that uh, uh, live and and bleed football in the fall, and mm-hmm. more kids go out. 
our numbers are much higher than most 6A schools on kids coming out. And we only have 800 students. And, you know, a school that has 2,000 students ought to be able to put 150 kids out there. We're putting 100 football players out with 800 students and only 400 guys. So 25% of our guys at our school play football. And I think the numbers uh, uh, dictate the fact that some of these bigger schools aren't getting kids out. So the 5As and the 4As are better football because we're getting more kids out than 6A schools. I don't know if that makes any sense. But it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you know, Southeast has uh, over 2,000 students, and they can't put a freshman team together. I mean, it's uh, it's really bad. Most of the – like, West doesn't put a freshman team together anymore. I don't think South does. And, and th- those things are killing the level of play in 6A. It's, it's almost – I hate to say this, but it's not good that that we can't we have two thousand students and we can't put football teams together. But you gotta have guys in those schools that are going out walking the hallways like we we used to mm-hmm. and getting kids out and get them involved and tell them how important it is and sell your program. And uh, I'm not sure that's happening in some of those schools. Right. Now the other thing I've noticed here, you look at schools on the outskirts of town. You look at your mazes and your maze south, how their programs are all of a sudden flourishing. You got Goddard, Goddard Eisenhower. You got your Andover schools. It seemed like those schools are starting to blossom and bloom. And I was just in Andover because I have a side gig, and I'm noticing like they got some construction going on in one of their fields and getting ready to open up a new school. I mean, what's really going on that these outer limits, these schools on the outer limits are getting players that, Seems like should be on the inner city. Uh, well, no, let's just call it like it is, and I'll probably make some of your people mad, but uh, you look at Derby's roster. Yeah. Those, those guys aren't all from Derby. <laughs> right. You know, they're, they're from the outskirts of town that Derby has open enrollment. I don't blame them. You know, you know got open enrollment. It's not illegal to go out there, and uh, you're, you're uh, going to Derby rather than playing football at Southeast who can't even put together a freshman team. Uh, no wonder they're we're losing them, but it, it's we got to get coaches in these schools that fight for their kids, yeah, and 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 get involved. And you know, I used to, and you know, this we used to at West and in Northwest and other schools, we would go to junior league football games at Barry Sanders Field and making sure that our kids stayed at West and weren't going to Derby or Goddard or you know, we were on them, we were getting to know the parents and. You know, we knew the aunts and the uncles and and the grandparents, but you gotta go. You can't just sit in your school and think, well, these kids are going to come here. Quit letting these guys transfer yeah. to other schools. Go out and sell your program. Derby's got a ton of them. They're from southeast part of town, and I don't care what they say. They they got a lot of kids. Yeah, that, you know they're they're getting. But I I'd go there too if I was a good football player. You know, and the Goddards and and the Andovers and. You know, but we've got to do a better job of selling inner city kids uh, our programs. Right. I believe that. You know, at one time, West High, we were beating Derby. Yeah. You know, in the 90s. And and, uh, it's just a fact that, that, you know, we sold our program. We got kids out. We got them excited. I'm not sure that's going on right now. Right. Matter of fact, I I know one of the young men you had personally, God rest his soul, and – Tragically, his son, by the same name, Chris Bell, 
was one of your players. Yeah, I love old Chris. Yeah, he he was one of my students in music. I didn't teach, but he was one of my drum players at the church. That I passed the sticks on him. Then his son came up, and I didn't get to spend as much time with his son. But I understand that he lost his life tragically too. And if and I know you and Coach Steve Martin are good friends, so I guess what I want to do is end on this note and ask you this question because we've lost a lot of good, talented, young football players tragically. I mean, we lost the rounds, kid. We lost the second round of Bell. And mm-hmm. we see a lot of this going on. And Coach Martin said it like this. He said, you know, for me, it used to be just about coaching and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, that's all I cared about. He said, but now you have to also invest in them beyond football. So what would you do to help curb some of what you see going on with some of these young athletes that could be going on to greater heights, but they're being snuffed out at a young age. You got to get them to, to get involved in uh, extracurricular activities, whether it be football band and continue to stay busy the whole year, Uh, you know, football, basketball, then get drama, keep them busy in school things. Number one, number two, I'm a big believer in being involved in the church. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If we, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a Christian man, too. And I go to church and I don't see where are the men at. You know, ooh, there's not many men there. It's all women. We as men need to step up, show these young people, you know, uh, that we need to be in church. We need to be doing the right things. We need to be fathers. We need to, you know, do all the things that real men do and to teach them what real men do. And uh, hopefully we can help save some of these kids because they're not, they don't have a lot of examples, but when they get involved in extracurricular activities, they have other examples, you know, Uh, but I think the church is the number one thing. And one thing I do love about Capon is I can share my faith every day and it's legal and nobody can tell me that you can't talk about God in school. We can, which is a a really, uh, a cool thing, but we got to get these kids believing in us again, you know, and, and showing them what, what real men are because mm-hmm. we're losing sight of what real men are. Um, you know, there's several groups out there, real men Inc. with has, has some leaders from the Northeast side and pastor van and some other people like that, that are really reaching out. I went to pastor van's church at, I think it's like 11th in Minneapolis and I mm-hmm. attended there three years. And I, and I loved it there, but my buddy came back from Kentucky, so that's where I'm at now. But um, I didn't see many men in the church. It was all women. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with women, you know, raising kids, but they need men. Yeah. To, that they can see you know, real men. I'm not talking about farce. Right. People. I'm talking <laughs> about real men. Right. Real men. And you know what? We've had some great musicians come out of West High School, too. Yeah. Do you know who Sean Bolden is? He's a drummer. Yeah. How about yeah. And how, how about Charles and Keith Martin? <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah. That was, are they still around? Uh, Charles, I think he's pastoring. And Keith, I think he's out there. And, well, he was overseas for a little bit. But uh, I yeah. can remember yelling at Keith Martin. He played basketball for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd say get on the post. Yeah. I, I hey, great times. Great times great there. Day, but yeah. we've had some great musicians come out of West. 
some great ones yeah. and singers. Yeah. You know, just people that were very talented. That go the most talented people for me are the ones that are at church playing the drums, playing the saxophone, playing the instruments, singing. But to me, I'm getting off topic here. But oh, you always the real, on topic on my show. <laughs> well, the real, the real heroes are the people that go, and I'm a believer in this because my my buddy John Henry pastors a church, used to pastor a church of about 4,000, but I said, you're not the hero. The heroes are the people that pastor the churches in the neighborhood with 50 to 100 people or 25 that are reaching out trying to to better their communities. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love those men. And, you know, we need to give them more support. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I want to thank you for your time. I and- loved it. You, I'm gonna let you know right now. You have an open invitation. So anytime something is on your mind and you want to come on, my podcast is your platform. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I want to say, I want to say one thing. I got a podcast too, and mine is called. Uh, oh man, <laughs> two minute drill. Two minute two drill. Minute All right. Drill with Coach Shorts and Nancy, and we talk about faith, football, and family. All right. So I'm getting a little plug on mine, but it's a way to reach out and and share the gospel a little bit and share a little football and that type of thing. But all right, man, I appreciate what you do. All right, now I'm, I'm gonna have to listen to your podcast because I'm already interested in hearing that right now. So it's called Faith. What is it again? Faith. It's a two minute drill. Is the name of it. Two minute drill. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I will definitely okay. be tuning in that and ladies and gentlemen, Coach Sharks, and make sure y'all tune into his podcast two-minute drill, because I'm sure it's going to be very informative. But until next time, take care. God bless, and we'll get you back on here. Anytime you have something on your mind, feel free to let me know, and I'll get you on here again. So much. All right. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com. That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com. www.kakeybums.com to enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Thank you so much for your encouraging words. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to follow and all that good stuff. And I'm going to tune in because I need to learn about sports so maybe I can get a man. Bye. I am honored this morning because today i have a special guest that will be joining me on my show 
the one and only Mr. Mike Kennedy. Uh, he has been the voice of the Shockers for such a long, long time. Uh, highly regarded for his descriptive, no-nonsense play-by-play accounts. Famous for his call of Greg Berman's final pitch. I mean, he has such a long list of accomplishments. Couldn't do it all in one show. So we'll have to probably have him on for another show. But we're going to get Mike Kennedy on the line here shortly. So welcome to another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. As we get ready to get him on the line, the one and only Mr. Mike Kennedy, uh, famous for his call of the of Greg Brummett's final pitch. In the Shocker's victory over Texas in the 1989 College World Series. And let's see if we have him on the line. Hello. Technology can be your best friend or your worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome in everybody on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And I'm going to call him my good friend, Mike Kennedy. He's been my friend since I was in school and didn't know he had a friend when I was in elementary. Because well, I, I, would cons- I would consider you a friend also, Anthony, so thank you. And, I, and I'm very humbled to have you on today. I was... Uh, in the prelims of my show, I was letting people know that you are indeed the voice of the Shockers calling basketball, baseball, football games on radio and television since the mid-1970s. And here we are, 2020, and you have more energy than the Energizer Bunny. How do you do it? I guess I've just been fortunate. My health has stayed good. Um, so that's the big thing, I think. And uh, I come from a long line of... Uh, long livers on my mother's side of the family so uh, i guess that all plays into it plus you know i, I think part of it too is what i do i love what i do uh, i'm energized by being around young people college-age people i think that certainly has something to do with it and so uh, that all it all plays into it and the one thing is i'm looking at some of my, my notes here it says you begin your announcing career as a Wichita State student calling games on University Station KMUW. And the thing is, I don't know if I remember, Parsi, you doing the games on KMUW, but I remember I would be tuning back and forth between KMUW and the station you was on because at least we could call you. We couldn't call KMUW. So I was like hard between two opinions because I'm thinking games sound better on FM. But it was something about you that drew me to you. 
Well, I appreciate that. When I started out on uh, on KMUW, it was just almost sort of a, you know, just a shot in the dark, almost accidental kind of thing where I had, um, you know, I, I thought about broadcasting for a long time, but I didn't know how feasible it was for me to get into something like that. And I had almost, I was getting close to completing a degree in vocal music at Wichita State and uh, just decided to go over and take a class and see what it was all about. And I was hooked immediately. And uh, the year and a half that I was involved with KNUW, there were several of us, several guys who were interested in sports broadcasting. And so we kind of traded off. Somebody would do play-by-play, somebody else would do color, somebody would do stats, somebody would run the equipment. So uh, we all kind of shared in that. So I did quite a few games, but I wasn't necessarily the, you know, the play-by-play guy on every one of them. Okay. So the one thing I want to talk about first is football, because you, you did that, you did it well, and you had, you had the opportunity to meet some interesting people. Uh, you know, everybody wants to credit the plane crash to the demise of the Wichita State football program, but you have to go a little bit farther than that to understand the demise, because we had at least a flash under Coach Jeffries. So I'm going to stop right there. What are your memories of Coach Jeffries besides the fact that he is still in the record books at, well, Wichita State, for that matter, is in the record books as hiring the first African-American coach in NCAA Division One. So what are your memories of Coach Jeffries? Jeffries. Love Coach Jeffries. Uh, I've had, fortunately, the opportunity to see him a few times more recently when he's come back to Wichita for reunions and things. Um, he was a fun guy to be around, great sense of humor. Uh, he really cared about his players. It's, it's amazing uh, when you go to those reunions and things how much he is just absolutely loved by his former players. And so, uh, you know, that's my strongest memory of him. Certainly he had some success. Uh, you know, they ran the option. Uh, it was a fun brand of football to watch. And he came up with a real find in Prince McJunkins, who I think could have played at Oklahoma and a lot of places in Nevada and Tulsa, but he was small. And uh, some of the bigger schools shied away from him because of that. But just absolutely tremendous running the option and was exciting to watch. And so that was a, you know, that was a special time for me during Shocker football to, to have some of those exciting moments. They beat KU and Lawrence in 82. It was kind of the, the highlight of that whole thing. So uh, just the, the, especially my memories of Coach Jeffries as a person is strong for me. He, he had a quote, and I don't know if you can remember it, but they went on the road to play a game against Wyoming. And I was there. He yeah. was talking about how cold it was. And I had seen that quote, and it slipped my memory what he said. But maybe you can remind us of what he said about it. It was a quote for the ages. He said it was about it was so cold, something in reference to said even the devil had wear a coat or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't remember the specific quote because he had, you know, he had so many. That was one of the things that was so much fun about him, all the expressions and things that he had. Uh, that that particular game was the first time that Wyoming had played a November home game in several years, just because it was so typical they get snow. 
started out as a, as a pretty nice day. It was cold, but it was clear. The sun was even out a little bit. Uh, they'd had some snow during the week, but they kind of, you know, they'd moved it off the field. It's kind of around the edges. And then, I can't remember exactly when, sometime in the second half, it started snowing, and it was like horizontal snow coming in. The wind blowing again, and it was nuts. And, we had, and, and Laramie is in kind of a, a flat plain between a couple of mountain ranges, and we had to drive from there back over the mountains back to Cheyenne that we had flown into. And then the way the wind was blowing, they, uh, they had to dump some fuel from the plane in order to have it at the proper weight to take off in that wind. So we had to stop at Denver and take on more fuel on the way back. So it was a, it was a marathon trip coming off. Okay. So as I'm scrolling through, I'm just looking at things here to hit up on it. You actually joined the Shocker broadcast team on radio and television in 1976 while at Cake TV radio. Some of the yes. some of the memorable moments. Well, yeah. it it started. I uh, had I'm I'm from here. I graduated from Wichita State, as you mentioned. Uh, my first jobs were in Chanute and Pittsburgh, Kansas, and I was looking to get into doing minor league baseball. And it just happened that the first opportunity to do that was back here in Wichita in 1976 doing the Wichita Air Hose. And I went to work for them in January of that year. I did, you know, I worked in the office selling advertising and tickets and things. And that uh, did the play-by-play. And Cake Radio and TV had acquired the contract to do Wichita State. Uh, KFH had had it for years, but Wichita State was one more of a regular commitment uh, to have games televised. And so... Uh, Kate got the contract and therefore needed somebody to, Bill Land was the sports director. He was going to mm-hmm. be the main guy doing radio, but then they also needed somebody that could be play-by-play when they televised. And so that's, they came to me, asked me if I'd be interested in coming to work for them, doing weekend TV, anchoring the sports on the weekends, uh, doing some reporting and stuff during the week, and doing play-by-play on radio when they televised. So that's how it all kind of started. And uh, and eventually, uh, four years later, that led to uh, when there was a changeover in ownership of the stations, I was asked to become the full-time play-by-play broadcaster going into 1980-81. And that's how mm. I became the quote-unquote voice of the Shockers full-time. But, but during those years, uh, right after I started there, uh, it was interesting getting to do, you know, TV. But for, I'd never done any TV. They hired me without any TV experience at all. And uh, I worked with some really great people there. The, I've told people the atmosphere at, at Cape Radio and TV was amazing back in those years. And a lot of that uh, goes to Martin Umansky, who was the general manager, who was a genius in the television industry but also not the easiest guy to work for. And uh, his, his philosophy, uh, everybody called it cake tech because his philosophy was to hire, you know, sharp young people, not pay them very much uh, because they were just getting started. And then, you know, eventually they would move on to bigger markets and for better pay. And he kept cycling people through like that, but, but hiring really sharp young people, uh, 
and it, it made it a really fun atmosphere to work in. I worked with a lot of creative, bright people, and a few, you know, stayed long term, like Larry Hatterberg, who is to this day the most amazing. Hatterberg's people, yeah. <laughs> And so you, you work with a lot of people, you know, you work with photographers, you go out on a story and, and just you could get creative and come up with good ideas. And so that that part of my experience was uh, was really valuable to me. Uh, and if you don't, if we've got time, I'll give you an example of, of Martin. And, okay. But how it, it made all of us better. I was doing, I was anchoring the, the 5.30 and 10 o'clock one night and Newman University had finally beaten Marymount in Salina to, to win the District 10 NAIA title, and they were going to the NAIA National Tournament. Marymount mm-hmm. had dominated for years in the state. And uh, Dave Skinner was the coach at Newman. I went over and did an interview with him. And then, uh, as I was preparing for the 5.30, pulled up some, you know, we had file tape on some of the Newman games, and I, I looked for a game, and I the File tape, they had lots and lots of events on there, and it was all labeled, and you'd go in and run through the tape till you found what you were looking for. And I started into it, thought that's what it was, rewound it to the, the leader leading up to it, and, you know, put it into my script. So I get up there on air, and they start the, it's called B-roll, the game footage over the interview with Dave, and it breaks up in the middle of it, and they had to dump out of it. So I went down after the newscast to find out what happened. Well, when they had laid the file tape, they had started to put that on there, and the tape had a bad place and broke up, so they had relayed it. Well, not having watched all of it, I didn't know that that was the case. Hmm. So I'm starting out the building on my way home to dinner, and there's Martin waiting for me in the lobby. And he goes, what happened there? And I explained it to him, and he said, how long would it have taken you to watch the whole piece of footage, maybe another 30 seconds. And, and you know, it was absolutely right. And those kinds of standards made all of us better. You know, right. Made all of us think about those things. And so I, I always tell people that was, a, you know, I, I've always tended to be that kind of person anyway, but there was no, there was no taking shortcuts at cake. When you work for Mark Zemanski, you learned to always check out every little detail. Right. So I'm looking through here, and this is, you're highly regarded for your descriptive, no-nonsense, play-by-play account. Famous for Greg Brummett's final pitch in the Shockers' victory over Texas in the 1989 College World Series and uh, Mike Jones' game-winning basket over Kansas in the 1981 Battle of New Orleans. And let me also add, also on the call, when Wichita State beat KU in Lawrence 13 to 10 in 1982. Memorable yep. moments. That was, that was all at the start. You know, those were all early on. And uh, those are still great memories. Uh, you know, I would throw in there the, the victory over Iowa uh, in the NCAA tournament here in 81. And then mm-hmm. right after that, the victory over KU in New Orleans. I mean, those were tremendously exciting games. And then, you know, there was a period there where other than baseball, there wasn't, you know, an awful lot of exciting moments. Basketball went through a real tough stretch for like 13 years. And I've been blessed to have some some great moments again. More recently, started doing volleyball in 2005, and that's been a a really fun experience. And uh, certainly the the resurgence of basketball, you know, the trip to the Final Four, the undefeated team almost to the end the following year. So, 
uh, I, I've been fortunate to have uh, a lot of them. And, you know, speaking of basketball, and I know we got a cloud hanging over our head with the Greg Marshall situation, but what I want to do is rewind back and let me get your thoughts on this. Gene Smithson was let go after a 14-14 season. However, he had a darn good recruiting class coming in. Eddie Fogler was the one who coached Gene Smithson's recruiting class. So let's erase that and play hypotheticalism for a moment. Had Gene Smithson got to coach his recruiting class, where would those teams have been? Because you had Prelo Twins, you had Grayer, you had they brought in several other. I think Joe Griffin came in with that group of players as well too. Describe what that team, how that team could have flourished under Gene Smithson as opposed to as opposed to Eddie Fogler. And mind you, during that same time, Tulsa brought in J.D. Barnett to replace Nolan Richardson. So the styles were different in contrast compared to what we were used to. Well, you put me on the spot here, but I, but I have to tell you, um, first of all, that class that you're talking about uh, played as freshmen under Coach Smithson first before oh, okay. Coach Fogler inherited them. Joe Griffin actually came in in Coach Fogler's first year. Okay, thank you for the question. And, and uh, the last year under Coach Smithson, I mean, Steve Grayer was playing out of position. Uh, there were guys like Henry Carr and Gary Cundiff that were on that team that he was basically going to run off, didn't think to play, wasn't going to keep around, that Coach Fogler got a lot of mileage out of the next year and uh, and had a lot of success with. So uh, my, my feeling is, and the other thing that was happening was, you know, we'd, we'd had recruits under Coach Smithson like, Antoine Carr and Cliff Levington and Xavier McDaniel. And because the program had gone on probation and some of those kinds of things, um, recruiting had taken a dip. It was getting harder for them to recruit. It was getting harder to schedule. And so, uh, and, and I had a great relationship with Coach Smithson. Certainly he had some of the greatest teams and players we've ever had here. But, uh, but I also understand why the change was made. And I, I have a great deal of respect for Coach Fogler. Um, I, you know, I think that he gets a bad rap sometimes because he didn't stay very long and and all of that. But he also, I mean, he had put together a, a recruiting group that was that had the potential to be really good. And and then Mike Cohen became the head coach mm-hmm. who had no previous head coaching experience. Turned out to be a you know not very good decision, and and things kind of went downhill. But uh, uh, I think Coach Fogler did a great job with the people he had. I think having been at North Carolina most of his life as a player and an assistant coach, uh, you know, I, I think since we're getting philosophical here, I think that one thing I've seen over the years, something that, that is kind of a, a part of college athletics, is that, you know, coaches kind of get used to and kind of base their expectations on what their experience has been and what they've been part of. And Coach Fogler was at North Carolina all his life. Mark Turgeon had all that experience at KU. And I think at some point for both of them, they started looking at Wichita State as 
what it was not compared to what their experience and and so forth was, and felt that it was time to move on. And I don't I don't blame them for that. I don't begrudge them anything for that. But uh, but certainly uh, you know it affected you know their decision to leave. And uh, and I think by contrast, when you look at Greg Marshall and what uh, and what he's been able to accomplish here, he came in from a background at places like College of Charleston and Winthrop, where he saw in Wichita State uh, tremendous potential compared to what he had been used to and resources that were far beyond what he ever had to work with. And and you see the results. So I think all of that plays into, you know, when you look, you look at and evaluate those, those 10 years. Okay. So now that you brought up Greg Marsh, we we know what what's at hand. We know the elephant in the room, but without saying too much, because I believe this, let the process take care of itself and then we'll deal with it afterwards. What do you see in this team moving forward? Because one thing that Greg Marshall proved to me, even with all the turmoil that they went through last year, they still found a way to get another 20 plus win season. And I think, what, that's, what, 11, 12 straight seasons, 20-plus win seasons? And there's only three other teams that can stake that claim, Kansas being one, uh, Duke being the other, and Gonzaga. So that's some pretty good company to be in, even with all the turmoil that they had. But look like he replaced the players that left, and are we looking at another 20-plus win season, even with what we're facing right now? Well, first of all, I will, I will second what you said about uh, let's let the process play out. And I, 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 you know, I've been asked not to comment on social media and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, and I think that's appropriate. But right. I, I will just say um, I, I think there's stuff that hasn't come out yet. Um, I think from everything I'm seeing, <clears throat> I think that this this group that's doing this investigation, and it's a it law firm from St. Louis that's done this type of thing before in academics, not just in athletics, but other areas of, of academics and universities. Uh, they have experience, and from what I'm seeing, it's it's a fair process. They are seeking out positive as well as, you know, possible negative comments and experiences, which uh, I don't think was at all the focus of the article that started all this. I, I don't think that there was much search for positive reinforcement there. So I think when it all comes out, I guess some people would be surprised a little bit by by some of the findings. But uh, obviously it's a difficult thing for everybody to go through and and waiting to find out what's going to happen. I I believe that as far as this team is concerned, it's talented. It is probably the most athletic team that he has ever coached here. Uh, And I think it's a group of players that he is enjoying coaching and that hasn't always been the case in the last couple of years I, I think that um, I, I've told people this quote before I don't know how much I've done it publicly but one of my favorite quotes that I've ever seen is Bo Schembeck where the great Michigan coach said one time you lose a player in recruiting and he may come back to, to beat you once or even twice in a season but you recruit the wrong person who doesn't fit your culture, and he will beat you every single day. Wow. And and I think particularly with somebody like Coach Marshall, who is not the easiest guy in the world to play for, and his and you know that's that's said to potential recruits 
from the beginning. And, and that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that he is uh, some of the things he's been accused of, like necessarily that he, you know, that he right. mistreats his players, but just that he's a he's a tough guy. He'll get on you, that kind of thing. Uh, but so you, you know, I think this is a group of players who fit that culture, who came here with the understanding that they would be tested and that there would be demands, and and I think they're, you know, I think they're embracing it. And so far, it seems like the the camaraderie and the chemistry and all of that is there. And so the, the big thing is it's just you know, it's a lot of new people again and uh, takes a little while for things to click in. But I think uh, getting Alterique Gilbert to transfer from UConn, uh, having a experienced Division One point guard is a big get and he can, you know, he can kind of be the focal point to, to help him make it happen. Tyson Etienne is only a sophomore, but I think he has all of the characteristics that that uh, will make him a great leader on this team. Mm-hmm. Dexter Dennis has been terrific for a couple of years. I think Trey Wade is a guy that, that fits the equation very well. And so I, I think they have a really good basis uh, to start with. And I think there's talent and athleticism. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of uh, bringing it all together. And given what's happened with the schedule because of the pandemic, it's a tough, big-time schedule all the way through. There are no... Uh, there are no low division one opponents on the schedule early or exhibition games to have a chance to, to play their way into it. They start right off the bat with Dayton and then either Utah or Creighton and, and the tournament in two falls. And so it's going to be really, really tough competition right from the beginning and all the way through. Well, Mr. Candy, I want to say I thank you for joining me today on my show. And we will have to do this again soon. Hopefully we can do this throughout the season. I know it's when it gets busy for you, but I am so elated. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share this. I don't know who was the most excited to be on the show, me having you or you being on here because I sent you a text saying, are you ready? And your response was, you bet. And I could just see the excitement in you. So I'm like, who's the most excited, me or you? So we'll let the listeners flip a coin. But I want to say thank you for joining me on this show. And we will do this again whenever you feel like you want to come on, just let me know. You can come on anytime. You have an open invitation. Well, I'm, I'm more than happy to do so. I'm hoping that soon we have uh, a little more exact idea of, of what's going to happen in the immediate future. I think that would be good for all of us to get to that point and, and know where we're going. So, uh, uh, But I would certainly look forward to coming back anytime. All right. Thank you once again, Mike Candy, joining me on the a train sports talk podcast and we will get you back on again soon thanks once again ladies and gentlemen that was mike kennedy joining me the voice of the shockers i mean just just, let's just look at his credentials once again i mean he was highly regarded for his non-descriptive and no-nonsense play-by-play accounts Famous for his call of Greg Brummett's final pitch in the Shockers' victory over Texas in the 1989 College World Series and of Mike Jones' game-winning basket over Kansas in the 1981 Battle of New Orleans. A historian of Shocker athletics, his research has been used frequently to update records of Shocker teams and former athletes. Began his announcing career as Wichita State student calling games on University Station KMUW. Joined the Shocker broadcast team on radio and television in 1976 while at Cake TV and Radio. Took over the full-time play-by-play chores at KAKZ Radio in 1980. 
Broadcasting highlights once again include 1989 College World Series Championship, 1981 NCAA Midwest Regional Basketball victories over Iowa and Kansas, and the 13-10 football victory over Kansas in 1982. Also honored six times by his peers as Kansas Sportscaster of the Year, inducted in 1995. So right here, what I am going to do, I'm going to take a break and put in a word from my sponsor, and I will come back with some more. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith. 